Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. This uh, morning, I'm going to sort of wrap up the first half of our prayer series all about prayer, obviously. Um, The first part's really been about um, individual prayer, our, our private prayer lives, and then we've got a few special services coming up. After that, we're going to continue with what the, the, the reason why corporate prayer is so important. But um, it's just been a, it's been a little bit not sad, but like you can, there's so much about prayer. Prayer is such an incredible, phenomenal topic, and uh, there's just you just can't physically cram it into just three services or three messages. Um, but really, this has just been hopefully a springboard to, to, for us to have the revelation and, and I pray the deepening revelation of the wonder of prayer, the, the great privileges, it is, the power of prayer in our lives. And um, the oversight team here really felt it was time to, to, to really hit this, um, not just as a, a message series, but as a start of a movement and get prayer just really rocking in our church. Um, but really the other um, statistic that, that really shook my heart, to be honest, was the one that I shared um, in, uh, several weeks ago in 2021. There was an extensive survey in the States uh, with Christian people, people that have given their life to Jesus, and less than 45% actually prayed daily, and only 2% of the Christians that were surveyed were, were satisfied with their prayer life. The rest of the 98 felt that they could do better, or they knew they, that they felt stink because they weren't praying enough, but they knew they needed more. So that is a really devastating statistic uh, when you think about it. And, and with the, the heart of the oversight here, and really understanding that it has been absolute time to, to lift the level. So that's been my motivation for this. I'm not going to go into any recapping this morning other than please, if you haven't listened to the first two messages, go online, just Google Renew Church and look at messages on, and we're on YouTube and, and podcasts as well. Um, very, very good messages about prayer. So we're getting into it this morning straight away with five things to remember when praying. Five things that um, either Jesus has said and promised or that the Bible writers talked about Jesus when he's uh, referenced prayer. Um, and, and this is the most amazing promise. Like, we don't understand. Like, the, the coolest thing about this series is that I've become passionate or more passionate about prayer myself. So it's been one of those ones where I've been educating myself or um, reminding myself about the incredible gift and the passion of prayer. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been so amazing. So often we think that prayer is like boring and mundane. It isn't at all. If we can understand the revelation of prayer and what it actually is and what prayer does, it will change your life. It'll, be, it'll make you wake up early in the morning and think, man, I just can't wait to pray and hang out with Jesus um, this morning. So five things to remember when praying. The notes are on the Bible app. Number one, God loves to bless his kids. God loves to bless his kids. I really encourage people to write uh, uh, notes while you're listening to messages uh, because it just it, you remember it more, especially when you're writing points. It's really important, and the notes are on the Bible app as well. God loves to bless his kids. Matthew 7, 7 to 11, this is what Jesus says. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Obviously, asking is about prayer. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, 
the door will be open. Jesus says this. He's the son of God. He's God himself. He doesn't lie. He's not just joking. So when we read things like this, we can trust what they say. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. How's that for a promise? And remember I said, was it last week or the week before, um, that Jesus actually challenged people who just did repetitive prayers over and over, that, that they just sort of did a, a liturgy. This isn't um, re- repetitive prayer. This is persistent praying. There's a difference when just, you're just repeating something because you think it's going to make God um, pleased with you and you'll just finally say, okay, I'll do it, Other, uh, versus persistent prayer where it's our heart towards our Father regularly saying, God, this is my prayer. Can you please answer it? But let's listen to that. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. It doesn't just say once, just like ask once. It's like keep on asking, keep on reminding your heavenly Father. And then it says, you parents, in verse 9, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So the first part of that, just keep asking your Heavenly Father. Then it goes into saying that God is our Heavenly Father and He loves to bless His kids. God loves and wants to bless you. So when was the last time you asked your Heavenly Father for something? I remember as a kid, like every time like it was coming up to birthday or Christmas, I would be reminding my parents exactly what I wanted. Like, Mum and Dad, I want a BMX for Christmas. I never got a BMX. Um, it's another whole story that I probably should get therapy for one day because I keep bringing it up. But God's not like that. Uh, he's just excited when we come and we ask him. He will give you what you ask for if an answer to prayer. Not yet is an answer to prayer. Like not in the way you think is, is a big answer to prayer. God loves to bless his kids. He wants to bless you. Number two, that's exciting, isn't it? Number two, Jesus wants to glorify his dad, his heavenly father, through your prayers. Jesus wants to glorify his heavenly father or his dad through your prayers. John 14, 13 to 14. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Again, this is one of those, those incredible promises that it's like, it doesn't leave much room for like, well, this is what you've said. And so this is either right or it's wrong. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So does that mean we just tack on in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers? Like we just so often do. It's like in Jesus' name. And we sort of do that because we understand the authority in Jesus' name as we pray. But actually when you think about Praying in Jesus' name, it's so much bigger than that. In my name means to be consistent with who Jesus is. His character, what he stands for, who he is and what he does. When we pray in Jesus' name, we pray under the authority of what Jesus did for us and all that he represents. We ask according to all that corresponds to who and what he is. 
It is to be to ask according to his will. So it's so much bigger than just like taking on Jesus' name. It actually has to be consistent with what Jesus would pray himself, his character, his heart. And so that completely changes some of our prayers. Uh, it makes us understand that we just can't pray a prayer that's very selfish or self-indulgent or self-seeking. Not in the will of God. It needs to be glorifying of Jesus' name, consistent with his character. This is another similar one. Matthew 21, 22. It says, you can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Does that mean if we just have faith at all, it's like it's just going to happen? No, like, I love study Bibles. Um, if you guys haven't got a study Bible, like they're so amazing because they bring some context to some of the things that are a little bit hard to understand. So I love what my study Bible said about this verse. This verse is not a guarantee that we will get anything we want simply by asking Jesus and believing. God does not grant requests that would hurt us or others or would violate his own nature or will. Jesus' statement is not a blank check. To be fulfilled, our requests must be in harmony with the principles of God's kingdom. It's it's worth understanding that. We need a little bit of context when we look at these promises. So number one, God loves to bless his kids. Number two, Jesus wants to glorify his Father through your prayers. Number three, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Have you ever been in a situation where people have said that because they understand it's about relationship that that brings the, the, the blessing of a connection? It's not just knowing about someone or not what you know much at all. It's all about relationship. In John 15, verse 7, it says, But if you remain in me, again, all of these are what Jesus said, if you remain in me, other translations, if you abide in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Again, this is like one of those phenomenal promises about prayer. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide or remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Interesting, it doesn't say need there either. It says want. Um, that's a challenge for us. So but what does this word remain or abide? Because um, that's, that's, that's the important uh, word here. To abide or remain, it means to stay, to live, or to dwell. If you dwell in Jesus, if you live in Jesus, if, 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 if that is where you, you are and you dwell and you remain. It's, it's all about knowing God. It's all about relationship. Remember right at the start of this series, the series, the first point that I started with, why pray? Because it's all about relationship with God. Prayer is not just talking to God or even just talking with God superficially. It's this incredible journey of communication and relationship with him. And we can live our lives in such a close relationship that we, as in, a, in a spiritual sense, absolutely, we are living in Jesus all the time. And if we have that close relationship, it's not about what we know about Jesus, it's actually about knowing Jesus. Then our prayers will absolutely line up with Jesus' heart. And those are the prayers that Jesus is just going to answer so quick. I love um, Karen Newoff. He's a... He does a lot of stuff with, with church leadership. Um, and, and he said a, a quote that I've been thinking about all week. Prayer is not a button to be pushed, but a relationship to be pursued. Prayer is not a button to be pushed, but a relationship 
to be pursued. So often when we get in trouble or there is a crisis, it's like, okay, that's when we pray. We like we push a button and we, okay, God, please answer our prayer now. And it's just like a, this, it's like an, an action, but it's a relationship to be pursued. Like we, we understand the heart of God as we get to know him and he places upon our heart things that, that we need to pray. And as we pray, we co-partner with God in seeing those prayers fulfill. So it's not what you know. It is who you know. Prayer is not a button to be pushed, but a relationship to be pursued. So how are we going? For those of you that are taking notes, God loves to bless his kids. Jesus wants to glorify his dad through your prayer. So these things, like just remembering them or even just one of them as we pray, will revolutionize our prayer life. Number three, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Number four, there is power in purity. There is power in purity. You know, in some circles, Christian circles, talking about purity and purity culture is becoming like a bad thing. It's like that just blows my mind because since whenever was purity a bad thing? And in John 15 verse 7, sorry, in 1 John 3 verse 21 to 24, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and we do the things that please him. We will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. That first part says don't feel guilty or or don't have a guilty conscience. You know when we sin, the wages of sin is death. But basically the process of that is we get guilt in our lives. It's like when we sin, it's like Satan goes, well, you've just deserved this. This is your wages. You're going to get a whole lot of guilt and condemnation and, and just that regret and that shame. This is yours. It's basically a transaction when we sin that's going to happen. So then we carry along a whole lot of the, the sin and the guilt and the stain. And, and that's just part of, of sinning. We can't actually get rid of that. But what this world is trying to do is just saying, well, that, no, that's, that's, you don't have to feel that way. They reckon that the more they can get people to agree that sin is good, then sin will, so sin's never going to be good. So we have this, um, this, this heart in us that's been given to us by God. Our, our consciences are pricked. Um, and then we understand it's, it's, it's guilt. But then we come to the throne of grace and we come to the feet of Jesus and we ask for forgiveness and we confess our sins and and we turn around and straight away because of the blood of Jesus all that sin is is gone is forgiven Um, all that guilt and that regret it's, it's washed away the shame we don't have to be under guilt anymore as soon as we come to Jesus in that split second where our heart is true and and repentant before him like we don't have to hold and carry that shame and that guilt anymore because of what Jesus is like, Satan gives it to us, but because of what Jesus does, we don't have to carry it anymore. But what sometimes happens is even after people have asked for forgiveness, they still carry around a guilty conscience and you don't have to anymore because of what Jesus did at the cross. So yes, like, like having that guilt, it is going to affect our prayer lives. What we absolutely need to do is just run to the throne of grace and ask God to forgive our sins. And he will every time. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and we do the things that please him. I really do think it's time that that we have a fresh holiness movement in the house of God. What so happens 
and it has happened throughout church history, is people understand that, but then the, the pendulum swings too far, and they always get into law and legalism and rules without relationship. But according to this verse, and I bet you there are hundreds of verses in the Bible, there are blessings and promises in purity. Again, if it comes out of relationship. So I think it's high time that we, we have a fresh holiness movement, not a, a legalistic, religious way, but understanding that we want to live to please Jesus. And as we do that uh, in the boundaries that Jesus gives us, there is true freedom. Because we think without boundaries that that is freedom, that actually brings slavery. Because sin will always enslave us. Anyway, it's a whole other topic for another time. And this is his commandment, that we must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain or abide in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. There is power in purity. If you want your prayers to be powerful, just keep running to God and, and asking for a fresh cleansing by his blood. Number five, pray prayers that please Jesus. First John 5.13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is for us. So that you may know you have eternal life. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, you can have eternal life with him today. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to start to think, well, I want God to hear my prayers and answer my prayers, and that's going to absolutely happen based on this verse if I pray prayers that please him. So we've just got to discover what pleases God. And again, that comes out of all out of relationship. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Isn't that incredible again? He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Again, that comes out of relationship. Like, I know what pleases Christy and what doesn't. Like, hanging out and watching a war movie with Christy, like, this is what I've got, this is going to be our date night. Like, I know that she's not going to be excited about that. Uh, because out of relationship, we get to know um, what pleases those people that are close to us. Out of relationship, we will learn to know what pleases Jesus. And as we pray those prayers that please Jesus, he's going to be, wow, Simon, I'm loving that prayer. You've got my full attention right now. And I, guess what? I'm going to answer that prayer because that prayer pleases me. Like, since, since whenever did we ever think that prayer was like boring or mundane or hard when you understand the wonder and the privilege and the power of prayer? Like God loves to bless us. Jesus wants to glorify his dad through your prayers. It's not what you know, it's who you know. There's power and purity and pray prayers that please Jesus. Like even just grabbing those, writing those down, thinking about those before we have a bit of a prayer time, it'll change your prayer life. But maybe there are those of us here or watching or listening to this and straight away, and like we've been saying those uh, promises and you're thinking, well, what about when prayer doesn't work, Simon? Because I know times in my life where prayer doesn't work. What, what, what do you have to say about that? So firstly, I'm glad you asked that, by the way. <laughs> Don't let your theology be built on disappointment. 
So theology is our understanding about God and his ways. And even as believers, we can get into this this rut in our Christian walk where because of disillusionment and discouragement and maybe because we're a little bit of a skeptic and things haven't worked out, we start to truly build our theology and our understanding of God not on his promises and um, his joy and his blessings, but upon the, the times where it hasn't worked and the times where God's let us down or the times when we prayed for someone and this didn't work or this person wasn't healed, so therefore I'm going to make uh, a reason or, or in my mind I'm going to work out why that didn't work and that's going to be the basis for my theology. And you can pretty quickly um, see, uh, understand how these people think. You get into a room and maybe there's a home group discussion about healing, for example, and someone that has got a theology based on disappointment will be very quick to bring up, well, what about when this hasn't happened? Um, and I prayed for this person. Well, what about when you have a healing service and, and people aren't healed? So therefore, let's just tone that down a little bit and, and try and say things about when it doesn't happen. We build a theology around disappointment. And I'm, I'm not saying be unrealistic and, and still understand those things, but what about building our theology on having a hope beyond, the circum, beyond all circumstances, like the Bible says? Declaration of God's goodness despite the trials. What about that song, standing on the promises of Christ my King? Not just standing on the times where things don't work out the way we should. So, we, yeah, sometimes... In our understanding, prayer may not work in the way you think, but please stay joy-filled and faith-filled. Not just, not, don't succumb to that whole disappointment theology because y- your life's not going to be very, very happy if you do that, and you're not going to see a whole lot of miracles in your life if you're just cons- consumed with the disappointment theology. So that's the first point. Sorry if that's too blunt, but just forgive me and move on. It's important. Number two, what about when prayer doesn't work? How do you know that your prayer is not working? Like We say, well, I prayed, and I prayed for this long, and it just didn't work, so prayer doesn't work. How do you actually know that God is still, God stopped working behind the scenes to see your prayer answered? How do do we know that our prayer is not working? And I've got an incredible um, story, an account in the Bible, Daniel 10, verse 12 to 13. And it's pretty trippy, but it happened, and it's real, and it gives us an incredible insight into this. So Daniel is, is praying for breakthrough, and, this, and an angel comes to visit him. And we'll pick up the story in verse 12. Then the angel said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding... And to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. So straight away, like if we pray with the right attitude, with the right heart, heaven hears your prayer from the first day. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. So obviously the spirit prince is, I don't know if it's a demonic entity or a fallen angel, or one of those type of things, some crazy uh, creature in the spiritual realm that we can't see but is very, very real. So for three weeks, this angel was going to come to answer 
was wanting to come straight away to answer Daniel's prayer, but he was held up by this demonic prince for three weeks. But they heard the prayer straight away. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, like he's like one of the heavy hitters, came to help me. So I, finally, someone, I can imagine this angel like wrestling this, the, the, the spirit prince of Persia for three weeks, like wrestling and fighting. And then I left him there and the spirit, uh, with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So in my imagination, it's like, sweet, Michael's here to save the day. I'm gapping it. Um, I'm taking off now. This has just been a bit too full on for me. Then he goes to answer. So can you, uh, this actually happened. It's real. We pray and then forces that we can't see start to work behind the scenes immediately. And this is a little bit hard to understand, but for three weeks, an angel, obviously God heard and God sent this angel on a mission to to answer Daniel's prayer. But he was hindered because of demonic forces that we can't see again for three whole weeks. Who says that your prayer has not been heard in heaven? And who says that things aren't happening and angels haven't been sent in accordance to your prayer right now? But there's there's a war in the heavenlies. So please, let's not be too quick to say prayer doesn't work. Maybe prayer isn't working the way we thought it would work or in the time frame that we thought it may have worked. But when we pray with a heart that is right before God and with prayers that are in the will of God, heaven hears our prayers. And heaven starts to work immediately to answer those prayers. David Jeremiah says this, and I love this quote. God is at work in response to our prayers, whether we see something happening or not. If we are truly praying, your will be done. Forces are at work beyond our comprehension and often beyond our vision, but they are working just the same. I love that. So practical takeaways. The first week it was pray first. Like whenever something crisis happens or someone offends you, don't ring up your friend and say, hey, this person's hacked me off. Pray first. Whenever there's a crisis, pray first, especially in the morning. Um, most mornings, nearly every morning, uh, I do this. And it doesn't have to be long to start the day with prayer. Pray first. Number two, walk and talk. Um, science is proving that um, when we talk with relationships, uh, whether it be to God, obviously, or to someone else, um, conversation flows so much easier and so much more meaningful as we walk, as we talk. So prayer walks with God's amazing. Point three this week, build a tent. So pray first, walk and talk, build a tent. It's like, what? It's like, what do we want to do that with prayer for, Simon? Uh, it's a principle, and I'll explain it out of Exodus 33, verse 7. So this is the Israelites, and uh, Moses was leading millions of Israelites. And he had this incredible place called the Tent of Meeting. Verse 7 of Exodus 33. It was Moses' practice to take the Tent of Meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. So uh, in some Bible translations, they say that the Tent of Meeting and the Tabernacle is the same thing. But I happen to disagree because the tabernacle was set up in the middle of the camp. Like that was right in the middle of the hustle and bustle. That's where the sacrifices were made. It was Levites 
and, and Aaron um, and his sons that were ministering there. But the tent of meeting, it was Joshua and Moses. The cloud was always hovering over the tabernacle. But we see here when uh, Moses went to the, the tent of meeting, then the cloud shifted and went over the tent of meeting. We understand that the tent uh, was outside the camp. The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. So in my understanding and perspective, I think it's two different places. It's, understand, it's, it's interesting to understand that um, a lot of the corporate worship happened in the middle with the tabernacle, but when Moses wanted to speak with God face to face, he went outside the camp. I just think that principle is incredible. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out of the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. I really do think that in our busy lifestyle, we need to build a tent. Outside of our schedule, outside of the stress, outside of the busyness and the pressure, we need to build a tent where we meet with God. And when I say build a tent, it may even be a literal place. I know people that have built um, prayer rooms, and they make that their special tent of meeting with God. Other people, they understand that at a certain time of the day, they just go and lie in, in, in the lounge when no one else is around, and they get a crochet blanket, and they sit on the couch, and they just talk with God or out on the deck. That's what I do uh, sometimes when it's cold. Uh, and, and even going for a walk, whatever it is, it's not like, doesn't necessarily need to be a physical, but absolutely a literal and a spiritual place where you meet with God. And we have the privilege of talking with him face to face as a man speaks with a friend, just like Moses did. And as we do that, the presence of God comes and fills that place. And God loves to answer our prayers. Build a tent. Fourthly, write it down. Um, another practical takeaway. This is something that I don't do, but I know Christy has done it a lot. And um, There was a, a time in our life where we would pray and then we would write down the answers to prayer. And God answers prayers a lot when you do that. We just don't sort of remember or, or think about it. But it can revolutionize your prayer life if you have a journal and you write down your prayers and you write down what God is speaking to you about. Write it down. I'm not going to say anything more into that because I don't want to be a hypocrite and say something that I don't do. Uh, but write it down. Uh, many people would say, hands up if you actually do that, you keep a prayer journal. So there's a few people here. That obviously, they understand the power of that. Number five, keep the conversation going. So the practical takeaways as we finish this first part about prayer. Um, pray first, walk and talk, build a tent, write it down, keep the conversation going. So we, we build a tent um, and we spend time with God. But just imagine if, if me and Christy had a coffee with each other in the morning and then although we go about our life and we're together uh, because we work together, uh, I just ignored her the rest of the day. Like she was there, but we, I just like imagined that she wasn't and just pretended she was, or just didn't think to register that she was present 
beside me. So often we can do that with God. We, we, we get our prayer times right and we get into the habit and the discipline of that, which is really, really good. But sometimes we can think, well, oh, sweet, I, got, I did my quiet time this morning and like, I've, I've done my devotion. It's like, awesome, now I just don't have to worry about it for the rest of the day. And then we just forget about God for the rest of the day. So we need to, to have, build a tent and have that time. But just remember that God doesn't leave when our quiet time finishes, that he is with us all the time. So keep the conversation going. Just keep talking with him during the day. Just understand he's there and he loves to keep the conversation going. First Thessalonians 5 verse 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually or pray without ceasing. Like the only way we can do that, it doesn't mean to pray like 24 hours. It means to have an attitude of prayer, understanding that God is there all the time. You can talk with him all the time. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So wrapping this up, if the band can jump up, would be awesome. Began with why pray, like I said, it's all about relationship with God. I was um, watching a YouTube clip by quite an incredible man, um, a minister in the States called Bobby Connor, and he had a vision of, of Jesus coming to him and, and asked him to write a book about prayer. And he said, there's one phrase that we need to understand and we don't really think about. And this was the, the title of his book, Having an Audience with the King. Like understanding that every time we pray, we have an audience with the King of Kings. And just started, when I thought about that phrase, I immediately thought about Esther. So Esther was married to King Xerxes, I think his name was. And in the culture of the time, um, you could get killed if you went into the courtroom and went into the throne room and, and asked uh, the king for something. And we know the story of Esther, the, the king held out his scepter and she was spared and she was able to ask requests of the Lord. So often we have this understanding perhaps that God is scary and he's all powerful and he doesn't want to, doesn't want to hear about our problems. And although God is um, all powerful and he can be very, very terrible, he's loving and he's not just our king, he's our heavenly father as well. And maybe it was a, a bit of a prophetic moment that I had a bit of a vision or maybe it was just me imagining this, but I, it was like me in the throne room. And like, instead of God being very stern and angry, like I grew up thinking God was, it's like God said, Simon, I've been waiting for you to hang out. Come here, buddy. Like, what do you want? Oh, I want to answer your prayer. And he was joyful and he was smiling and he was just so excited that I was there and I was spending the time to hang out in his throne room. And that's the privilege every single one of us have because of what Jesus did. I want to share with you a verse to finish off, Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. We can come boldly into the throne room of our gracious God every time we pray. Like God's there. And he's so keen and willing to hear about us. And as we develop that relationship with him, he is so passionate to answer our prayers. Could we stand up, please? Finish with a quote. Billy Graham said this, To get a nation back on its feet, you first have to get them back on their knees.
To get a nation back on its feet, you first have to get them back on their knees. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.